G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very, very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher, so no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today though I'd like to introduce you to Alistair Kirulf who is doing a doctoral degree in chemistry under the supervision of Dr. Diane Boschman. Welcome to Grad Chat Alistair. Thanks for having me on your show. Now I fir- now it's interesting I first got introduced to Alistair when we had a menu challenge to our grad students and that was about sharing favorite recipes that cost less than ten dollars when you are on a budget which is really important for our grad students. It really is. To budget and also have a good meal. So Alistair to put in a recipe of his grand's noodle casserole yeah. <laughs> which was which usually made four servings and i'm and my understanding and i must admit i haven't tried it but my understanding is it's delicious oh it's perfect for a day like today it's warm and delicious and <laughs> cheesy and oh it's so great <laughs> gotta love our grands right they yeah. have these great meals and you think how can you do that grand it's so you make it look so simple yeah but. no it's so true it's also great if you have a bunch of stuff in the fridge and you just want to throw just it into a casserole it yeah it's great I'm all for chucking things in that's left <laughs> in the fridge, yeah, because I don't like wastage. So that's really good. Yeah. So the other thing is what I wanted to say there too is that, you know, you've got to love the recipes our mums and grands make, which are always normally good hearty meals. And and from there I found out also that Alistair loves the performing arts. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, there's lots of things I've been learning about Alistair just <laughs> from that one call out for, men- for a menu, yeah. <laughs> which is great. But I'm going to talk a bit about that a little bit later because, I mean, the first part, I really do want to get on and talk about your research. Yeah, sure. Which is why we're there, but there's lots of things we can talk about later as well. So your research topic is developing the continuous online leaching method for use in bioaccessibility risk assessments. And keep in mind, this is chemistry. It's qu- quite a mouthful. So, yes, it is quite a mouthful. So can you give us a bit of an overview of what you're actually doing in your research to make people understand you know, where you're coming from with the, because kind of the words that that I look at there is leaching, bioaccessibility, risk assessment. So yeah. can you give us a bit of an idea? I mean, those are kind of the three main topics in my research. I'd probably start with the risk assessment. So if, if we have a site in Canada or around the world that has contaminated soils and it could be contaminated from wastewater or landfills or other things, we need to conduct a risk assessment to see what harm there could be to people who go and work on those lands or who are living there or using the lands. So we conduct a risk assessment to see what kind of risks there are. And part of that is looking at how our bodies interact with the soils that are on those lands. And that's where the bioaccessibility comes in. So that's how our bodies leach out certain contaminants through our saliva, our gastric juice, and even our lung fluids and things. So my research focuses in on that bioaccessibility component and modeling it in the labs with a continuous online leaching method. So this is, I mean, you could theoretically say this is a bit of combination of chemistry and maybe some things that they do in biomedical and molecular sciences you could either easily have gone into the health side of oh, totally it's it's definitely at, at a crossroads between analytical chemistry environmental chemistry and kind of health sciences right and it's looking at how we can use all three to really look at the processes that go on in the soil and as well in our bodies um, and do you work with people in those labs as well sometimes I have a, I'm actually cross-appointed with the Royal Military College right. and the environmental science group there because my supervisor 
there does these risk assessments okay. um, all the time. Right. And so it's I'm looking at incorporating our online leaching method that we've developed here at Queen's with their risk assessments. With their, uh, it's good to have those collaborations. It is. We need oh, them, it's, don't we? oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Actually makes the research even more interesting mm-hmm. too. So the obvious first question is, should we, i.e. in the public, be concerned about the soils under our feet, as you, as you put it? And if so, what soils have you looked at and what are or is there a risk to us? So I would say that there isn't really any risks to us today because these risk assessments have been done for all of the places where we're working and living. And so it's it's work like mine with people like my supervisor at RMC who are doing the work to make sure that we're safe where we're living. Right. The soils that I've looked at actually right now are what are called certified reference materials. So I haven't actually gone out and found soils out in the wild in Canada. Right. I've been using soils that are well characterized in their elemental compositions. So we know exactly how much lead there is in this soil. Okay. And it's been certified by many different labs around the world. So we're, we have a lot of confidence in the values. So then I can use it to look at my method and say how well my method is performing if I'm getting those certified levels back after running it through the method. So, so you said you weren't going out into the, the fields kind of, or the into the country. So where are you looking at these? Are these from, for instance, sites, say, in Kingston? For, I think a classic example is down near the waterfront near the, old pr- the, the prison for men where they cut off one area on the side there near the Olympic Harbour and they said they were having to do all sorts of tests to make sure that the soil and everything is okay. Mm-hmm. So do it, it whatever could the be. next thing, thing I'm going to do on it. Yeah, it, it could be those areas. I could go out and do field work in Canada. It's just my my research is developing the method and so right. we have to develop the method and have confidence that the method is working and giving work. us good results back. And to do that, we use these certified reference materials to gain confidence in our method. And then once the method then, is certified and validated, we can use it in sites like in Kingston. Right. But you, so, and you mentioned the word lead, mm-hmm. which, which is an obvious one that, you know, is lead in, in the in the soils because yep. we talk about all the thing we've been hearing a lot of stuff what what's in our waters these days yeah. so it's good to see you know what's in our soils what are th- other sorts of components are you looking at because there'd be a lot more than just lead i would imagine mm-hmm. and, and clearly you'd need to find a different method for each one yeah so my method and my research is specifically looking at arsenic lead and chromium okay. kind of the inorganic elements but there are definitely methods that look at more organic components like PCBs, that's actually a pretty well-known one, which are polychlorinated bisphenols. Right. And so those are larger organic molecules that are harmful to humans. That are harmful. Yeah. Okay. So before we go into the method you're proposing, because I imagine that's quite technical, (laughs) and maybe not, what is currently being used today? Because clearly you're trying to find a better solution. Mm -hmm. So what is currently being used today? So currently there's two main methods that are used around the world, and those are ones by the US EPA and the Bioaccessibility Research Group of Europe, or BARGE. Okay. Oh, and that's why you went overseas. Yes. Yes, it is. Right. So we're going to get into that. Yes. Yes. So these two methods are very similar in that they're batch methods. So you take your soil and you add in your artificial saliva or your gastric juice and you let it leach for about an hour to up to four hours. So it's very time consuming. And so the methods that are currently available take a lot of time to do. I had the fortune of going over to England and actually working at the British Geological Survey in Keyworth and they do this barge method all the time. Right. And I was able to do a few rounds of the barge method and it takes all day. It's a, it's a very laborious process. <laughs> yeah, particularly if you've got a a lot of areas to cover and yes. what have you. So that brings me to you got a scholarship, didn't you, mm-hmm. to go and and see what's going on over there and work with the or collaborate with some people over in Europe. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about the 
the scholarship that you got through MyTex is my understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I um, my supervisor actually was contacted by someone at the British Geological Survey to see if they could send over some soil to for us to analyze with this method. Right. And my supervisor said, well, getting soils imported into Canada without a specific license and stuff is quite difficult to do. Mm -hmm. Why don't I just send you a grad student instead? It's much cheaper. <laughs> So she got in contact with me and said, there's this, yeah, there's this opportunity and encouraged me. She encouraged me to look at this MyTax Global Link Award. Yes. And so the Global Link Award links university students, masters and doctoral students with other partner institutions around the world and gives them funding to go for up to six months. So. And did you stay the full six months? I did. I oh thought God, that's awesome. Why not do what well, was 24 weeks, which is about six months. Yeah. And why not do the full time? And so I did a whole semester uh, last semester. Do you have to write a report to MyTax after that? I did. Or? Yeah. yeah. I, I finished that up just a few weeks ago, sent that off, talking all about the, the fun I had and all the cool things I got to do. Because not only did I work on my continuous online leaching method, um, but I also helped develop a lung method for the British Geological Survey. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, yeah. And met so many great people and, you know, had so many great experiences, did some traveling. But the research part was also really great. It's not a bad field trip. Is yeah, it? It, was, it was really cool. <laughs> Thanks to my tax on that. Exactly. Actually, it's interesting because I always say that there's lots of opportunities out there and sometimes what stops us is the finances mm -hmm. so you know more of our students need to look at things like the MyTax Global Link Research Award yeah um, I mean I would encourage to to do this. any grad students listening to go to MyTax website and look at all of the opportunities because not only are there ones to send you abroad but there's ones to do industry collaborations here in Canada right there's money to do postdocs after you've graduated there is a lot of funding through MyTax they're a great organization so so for those budding researchers MyTax.ca if you don't already know that website it's it's a, it's a very good one of course they do their training programs and things as well. So mm -hmm. there's there's lots there. So you mentioned while you were there, you were the British Geological Survey. Now you were helping them a little bit with their stuff, but then you're also doing your own. Mm -hmm. So you can get those samples and things rather than bringing back, do it all there. What, I, what I'm interested in, because you talk about using saliva and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my first, th my first thought was, I mean, you talk about well, how's it leaching? Is the soil leaching stuff into you? How's that doing it through the saliva and, and vice versa? or what's the saliva got to do with the, with the soil because you're going to just spit on the soil everywhere you go. <laughs> um, and I know it sounds a bit weird, <laughs> but when I hear uh, researchers talking about, yes, I use that saliva to see how it interacts and all that sort of thing, I think, but we're looking at the soil. What's in the soil and is that going to harm us? Mm -hmm. So can you just explain the method a little bit perhaps? Sure, yeah. So um, what my method models is what we call incidental soil ingestion. So we're looking at if someone were to go to a contaminated site and work there or live there, they're not going to be eating the dirt. Not many people eat dirt every day. We used to as kids. Well, some kids that, do. That helped That's, our immune system. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> there's actually some really interesting research in that. Um, about pika and, and kids eating soil. <laughs> Maybe um, not today. But it's it's funny because Health Canada publishes a guidance value for how much we incidentally ingest, and it's about 20, oh. 20 micrograms of soil per day. So is that like through vegetables, that if you haven't yep. washed the vegetables yep. properly and stuff Or like not that. washing your hands, or right. just, you know, it's on things that you touch and then you touch your mouth and things like that. Right. But for toddlers, it's the only group where it is higher. It's 80 micrograms. Oh. And I hypothesize that that's because they're lower to the ground. They're yes. putting stuff in their mouth constantly. <laughs> right. 
right. some of them even are eating soil. So yeah, so it's estimating, the method is estimating that incidental ingestion. Okay. And then the way that the elements are leached out is quite complicated and I don't fully understand the characterization of it. But for instance, our gastric juice is very acidic. Right. And we see that there's a lot more leaching in the gastric phase because of that acidity, it's bringing those elements out of the soil. It's interesting because one of the, the things you mentioned was arsenic. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a student on here a couple of years ago now who was looking at arsenic in rice. Mm-hmm. Was that uh, Nasheen? Yes. Yes, I actually right. just saw her last week oh, at a did? conference. Yeah, yeah. And she was fabulous. Yes. I mean, I mean, she knew everything about this arsenic and rice and I and I still wash my rice very, very well. Yes, wash your rice. That's. But, uh, uh, is that the kind of thing too that you're looking at? Because it is, I mean, one, it's soil, but from the soil gets into a particular plant and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know that's probably a different project. Yeah, but well, I mean, kind of- Nasheen's research, uh, she was in our lab, in the Bosherman lab, and right. she was doing the continuous online method on these rice samples as well as the batch method and kind of comparing the two. Right. So so my work is now taking it a step further and actually validating this online method with validated bioaccessibility methods used by the US EPA and the barge. Okay. So, yeah. So what are the advantages of the method that you're talking about? So there's some significant advantages because our method takes, instead of having the soil put in a tube and you add your saliva and then you leach it and you add your gastric and then you leach it and you add the intestinal and leach it. Our method has little small tubes. I actually brought one with me if I can find it. There's these little small tubes about half a centimeter in diameter and a couple of centimeters long. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. And you fill this with soil packed with glass wool to keep it in place. And then you send your saliva and gastric through the tube directly into your instrument. And so that's why it's an online method is you're you're continuously sending the leaching matrix, the saliva, the gastric, continuously sending that to the instrument. And that means that you can actually see on the instrument when your leaching is finished and you can start the next phase. So instead of leaching it for an hour, and just hoping that everything is leached out, you are actually seeing that it only takes about five minutes to leach it out. So you're seeing this on the computer. Yes. It's monitoring the whole way through. Exactly. And we can see that the all three matrices, saliva, gastric, and intestinal, come out in about half an hour as compared to, you know, over four hours you're leaching with all of the matrices right. and the other methods. Are you finding, when you're talking about the leaching, I, I would imagine by the time it gets down to the gastro site, there wouldn't be as much left? Or, and we see, well, or because it, does it get, the leaching get higher the further down the tract it goes? It it actually kind of peaks in the gastric we see because the gastric is a lot more acidic. Acidic, right. And so it's pulling out those elements a lot more. Intestinal is, is a little bit less and saliva has a fairly significant fraction, mainly because anything that is easily washed off, even if it was washed off by water, mm-hmm. it's usually washed off by the saliva because it's the first right. phase to right. interact with. And would you be going one step further and saying, well, if... if if this is amount is leaching in the gastro, here's the ramifications of that to mm-hmm. us as people. Yeah. And and is it obvious what's happening with the person or is it just it's leaching, therefore what else is it could it potentially be doing? Well, so that's that's the interesting interplay between bioaccessibility and bioavailability. So my study is a bioaccessibility study, and that's how these elements are leached out by saliva, gastric, and intestinal. Right. Bioavailability is actually that uptake in the body into the blood. Uh, and, and so we another, assume... That's another It's study. another study, exactly. Those require mice or fetal pigs, and you have to take their blood, and you have to get ethical, ethical approval and right, stuff. And so right. bioavailability studies are very useful, but they're very expensive and time-consuming. Right. So most 
researchers do bioaccessibility studies because they're cheaper, relatively cheaper, and easier to do. Right. So. We love easier to do. Exactly. Particularly when you've only got a few years to do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think you, I mean, you've kind of answered this question of how, of, I mean, how your method is offering improve, improvements over the existing one right now. And mm -hmm. the obvious one there is the timing. Yeah. And also the other one is that with your method, you can see the leaching very, very quickly, in, more or less in real time, as mm -hmm. opposed to waiting till the end of the particular test. So where do you envision your method going in the future? So, yeah, with... Because the sky's the limit. Well, really, yeah. Because we could be testing all sorts of things. That's so true. And well, with some improvements, you could go out into the field and have a little tube and just stick it in the soil, get the first few centimeters of soil sample. Right. And then take that back to the lab and hook it up to this system. And it could be automated. So you have these tubes all lined up in a rack and it just connects them, sends the leaching through, through and then connects the next one and sends it through. We're not there yet. The automation of it's probably a few years off. But is that when but you then you collaborate with the computing department? Definitely, yeah. And there's and I've I've thought about um, trying to set up a system to pre-pack these columns. So you just lay out your soil sample on the glass wall, and then something kind of rolls it and sticks it in because it's it's quite fiddly to get the soil and, and glass wall well, all into yes, this, when, when this I small looked, little when tube. When you showed me that little tube, and, and believe me, everyone, it is tiny, and it's probably only three or four, well, the hole itself is probably only a few millimeters wide. So that's not easy. Yeah. And you wouldn't think, actually, you'd have enough sample there to be able to, to show or to get the results that you're, you're looking at. Yeah, it's it's difficult. And that's that's one of the big advantages of the other methods is they do provide a lot of soil or you can have a lot of soil in them. Right. And so you have a bit more of a representative sample, which is important in analytical well, chemistry. that's true. The, the main advantage that we see with this method is that we have that online profile. Mm -hmm. And a study that was done a number of years ago actually was looking at lead in corn bran and saw that instead of having one peak for the lead, there were kind of two peaks. Oh. And further investigation into these two peaks found that it was lead ratios that corresponded to gasoline that was at, or lead that was added to gasoline. Right. So they could actually see that lead wasn't coming from the natural environment. It was coming from gasoline in these corn brand samples. That was published a, a number of years ago, way before my time. But it's one of the advantages of this online method. So what other, what other uses can you see for this? I so, mean, are we looking at the usage of, of checking our soils, for instance, with for farming, checking our soils for building later down the track, making sure that there's nothing in those soils that can harm us. I mean, what do you see the use of this yeah. moving forward? It has a number of different applications. It's currently being used for these risk assessments. Mm -hmm. Some studies in our lab have used it for food. So we've had it used with bread and fish and wheat. And so you could see a processing plant or a food plant taking samples and just putting putting them in these little tubes and doing a quick little bioaccessibility analysis just to see that this food that they're making has no bioaccessible right. element components. Right. Okay. That would be pretty important moving forward because I know with all the things that are going on in the world today and, you know, the environment's going a bit wacko, mm -hmm. as I guess I can say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit wacko. Yeah. And uh, who knows what's leached. We, we know so much gets leech, leaches into our water system and consequently will go into the soils and things like that. So mm -hmm. I can see huge uh, reasons for getting this to work really, really quickly. Will you, I mean, you mentioned the fact that down the track you hope to be able to take quick 
samples and you just plug them into your computer straight away. Does, but is that a computer back in the lab or can you do it on a, would you be able to down the track be able to do it on a laptop? Because I know with some of the water sampling and things they do, looking for E. coli and all those sorts of things, particularly like happened with the Olympics down in Brazil, they wanted something quick to test the water mm-hmm. and stuff. Would that be something, and, and, on, and on the spot answers, is that something you're hoping as well? So you don't, you can not just take the samples quickly, but you can get the answer straight away. That would be the the ultimate goal. I think the limiting factor for my work is that we couple this to an instrument called an inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometer. It's a big word. It, it? It's a big word and it's a big instrument. <laughs> it's a big instrument. Okay. Um, and it, it, so you can't really carry that around. Can't really carry it around in your back pocket. Although I was I was just at a conference chatting with someone about microplasmas. So the plasma yeah. is the thing that ionizes our sample. It excites it so that we can see what's in the sample. Okay. Right. And just like so those dyes they put in for X-rays, so you can see things. Exactly, it'd be it'd be similar to the X-rays that are shot at the sample. Right. To to make it fluoresce. I'm using big words here. Um, <laughs> fluoresce, but, I get. But the, kind the, of like the, the the color of your your shirt is very fluorescent. Yeah, oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, like anyone can see so, that. So yeah, <laughs> uh, the the bright green sweater yes. that I'm wearing. Yeah. Um, but so the, the plasma excites our samples so that we can see what's in that sample. And the plasma needs argon and it needs a lot of components that we mm-hmm. can't quite take out into the field. I was talking to this guy at a conference who was chatting about a microplasma. So it's actually a, a different way of configuring this plasma so that it's it's small and portable and requires very little energy to produce. So if this were to go out into the field, this whole method, the online method and everything, I could see maybe using the microplasma right. for sampling. There's advantages and disadvantages I can see about that, but we would have to get our big instrument a lot smaller before it goes out into the field. Well, I guess one of the things, if you're doing it on the field too, is making sure you're not contaminating it, the sample with anything else mm-hmm. yeah. in the field, because you've got to be able to have some sort of sterile environment, I imagine, to make yeah. sure your samples are protected. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're sampling kind of real-world conditions, you'll want to take a sample representative of what someone might come into contact with mm. when they go out and play or dig or, right. or work there. And, and one of the things I've found with these, these really small tubes is they're very stable. Okay. The plastic is inert. Once you fill it with your sample, they can kind of sit around. They don't need to be frozen or chilled. Or I mean, you want to keep your samples in certain heat tolerances and things like that, but they're pretty easy to transport. So I don't see that we need to necessarily take the instrument out of the field so much as we can just do these samples and bring them back into the lab. And how far along are you again in your PhD? I'm in my third year, so about third a year, year and a half more. So you've got a year and a half. A year and a bit, yeah. To figure it all out. <laughs> and write it all. And write it all. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the... the hard things isn't it because you get so far and I mean there's always lots of other people in the lab too that can continue on with mm-hmm. the work that you're doing which is which is nice so it's not just going to stop when you finish your degree it can keep going which is good yeah. but I'm sure you want to make sure you get some results that you can go yeah we did that in this, yeah. in this time frame yeah I mean even just with the six-month project that I did in England right. I, uh, I came to the end of it and I had so much more I wanted to do right uh, just so many avenues opening up and I wanted to go here and do that and so now I'm trying trying to do it all from afar back in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you'll have any other opportunities to go back or or even to work collaborate with some other people in I'm, other areas other labs? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm always open to collaboration, always open to seeing how this method and and my work can contribute to someone else's work and right. yeah, I I love I think collaboration is so important in not just in the sciences but in academia and right. yeah, I'm always open to Well, I think what's important with your work just as uh, you know someone from the the general public is that we always worry about what's in our soils and things right now mm-hmm. and 
all you know with dna test genetics and all those sorts of things things are getting modified mm -hmm. and you're never quite sure well well how's that affecting us mm -hmm. if we're ingesting anything yeah. or whether and i guess there's something when you talk about the feet and stuff can it get come up through our skip get through our skin and things mm -hmm. just topically as opposed to ingesting yeah. so there's all sorts of different things which i'm sure would be really interesting for everyone to find out because it's getting a bit terrifying out there with mm -hmm various chemicals and other things that shouldn't be around in some places. It's true. No, it's true. And and I hope that um, talking about my research and the work that we do kind of gives confidence to people that um, the government and other bodies within Canada are monitoring yes. contaminated sites and soils and waters and all of this. And we're, we really do take it seriously. That and and the, the Canadian Cub government does have their standards too not just like the US or yeah. what's happening in Europe they yeah. do have their own standards too in fact one of the, I think this is maybe just my opinion but one of the best published guidances on human health risk assessments is by the Canadian government that's fantastic um, and I know when I was over in England they often talk about our work on water yes. and water contamination because we have giant freshwater lakes and stuff yes. so a lot of the, the research that was presented over in England um, on some of the water stuff that they do had Canadian um, certified waters and, and stuff right. from Canada I kind of thought oh that's great that's uh, that's my country <laughs> and it's nice to be proud of your country isn't it, it? Is, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to go back a little bit about mm. when we started at, when I was saying to everyone how I got to meet you in the first place or get to know about you and there's you like performing arts yes all right and it was, it was interesting because we're very lucky here at Queen's that we have the Isabel Centre for Performing Arts we have our Smith or oh, no sorry dance school of Drama, drama and music and yep. music and lots of things are going on for opportunities for people just to come and watch or actually participate in and so you were talking to me at the time about you were part of the queen's university chamber orchestra is that correct yes what got you into that um well in my first year way back in my undergraduate because i did my undergrad here and now i'm doing grad studies <laughs> um I wanted to join an orchestra or something to play the trumpet in because I was in band in high school. Right. Um, and I actually had considered going into music as my degree. Right. Um, but I decided to go into science. And I don't regret it at all because I was able to do music outside of my science classes. Nice hobby, right? Yeah. And if relax, I had something relaxing. Exactly. And if I had done music, I wouldn't have been able to do science outside of that. Right. So I was really able to join the Queen's University Chamber Orchestra, the Queen's Chorus, the Choral Ensemble, all these things. And I just got involved by looking up music happening at Queen's, what cl right. clubs there are and what's going on and um, joined the orchestra and I, I've been in it for five years now almost six years that's great yeah yeah I'm I'm on their executive and uh, it's, oh, that helps it's too. Of yes sort of, okay I'm yeah. on there <laughs> yeah. keep you interested because yeah. I, I I'm I'm a firm believer we have to have our hobbies outside of what our normal work work is for the day because mm -hmm. you've got to have a place to relax. So it's really good that you're doing that. And I remember we had a couple of newsletters where you were helping me highlight some things that people or our grad students could be doing. So appreciate that. And any other grad student, you've got some ideas, just let us know. And you've also sort of helped with not just for your hobby, but also we've been helping people like Science Rendezvous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. which is a great thing that happens here um, in Kingston. In fact, it goes around the country, isn't it? Science Rendezvous. Yep. Um, but I know the one here in Kingston 
does extremely well yeah. and so uh, it's good that you're getting involved in that too because we'd like our grad students to be involved in that too yeah i mean science rendezvous is a lot of fun um, we get to do a chemistry magic show yes um that's what i was involved with and uh get so you to, get to do the fun things get to do the blow stuff up make big explosions and yeah it's it's a lot so of fun kids. yeah <laughs> we're all i think i argue that all chemistry students are kids at heart because well, we yeah just, you got your little test tube yeah, and exactly. like you said you're, you're making potions <laughs> exactly <laughs> so, yeah which is which is good to have so we've come to the end of this show already my goodness i know it goes quick doesn't it, <laughs> it, does. it, it see everyone thinks that you know they're never going to make it and and i always say to this the students the first few minutes seems really slow but then it just flies after that and this is another case like that alistair thank you for coming on the show thank you for having Good luck. me I, mean, I know you've still got a year and a half but uh, i hope the method that you're looking at comes to fruition because it sounds like you're all on the right track there thanks and uh and then you can go and showcase this showcase it to your colleagues over in europe and, and the, in england yeah so that would be good put canada on the map again yeah <laughs> that would be excellent so good luck with all that and thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for having me so that's it everyone a another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. Just type in a grad chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Hey.